So last week I didn't get to finish the sermon, so I'm not going to make any promises. I'm going to preach the last half of last week's sermon. And if God will help us, we'll finish last week's sermon this week. And last week's sermon won't turn into a series, but I make no promises. Um, last week we talked about the fact that you had one job. The people of God had lost the word of God in the house of God. The priests did. And so let's pray together as we begin. Lord, love your word. And I just take authority right now. And I, I ask for the anointing that breaks the yoke, the bondage. Not the anointing that stirs or inspires or encourages. We're asking for more than that. We're asking for the anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage and sin. Pray, Lord, for your authority to be released in this place. As when you spoke and said, let there be, in the darkness and the chaos of Genesis 1, the Holy Spirit was hovering. When you said it, the Holy Spirit confirmed it and made it happen. I pray, Lord, against any sicknesses, belly aches, high blood pressure, headaches that would cause people at a point of breakthrough to say, I need to go get a drink of water. i got to use the bathroom. I pray, Lord, for a closure in this room that you would enable us to be transformed by your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 119, verse 11, the psalmist said, I have hidden or I have treasured your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You have one job. The priest had one job and they had lost the word. It was the priest's job to make sure the people of the word, as they were called, didn't lose the word in the house of God. Have you ever lost anything and you cannot figure out where it is? Like something simple, like your car keys. Some people have the spiritual gift of losing their car keys. No matter where they go, what they do, you can build a, you can get a thing to hang on your wall and put your key, people still lose them. I lose stuff. Have you ever looked for your sunglasses for five or ten minutes? And go, I know, I just had them. And then you remember they're on the bill of your ball cap. And you're asking everybody. Um, this past week when we came in from Dallas last Friday, um, I knew, I walked in, I was listening to my AirPods. AirPods have a demonic detachment spirit on them. Why, can, why is something that costs $250 so easy to lose? Because Apple wants you to lose them, so you can buy another set. And then you have that thing on Find My, and all of your Apple components, you can find where it is or the last time. And then it has that thing, Play the Sound. Have you ever hit that? And your, Airbot, your AirPods go, I'm not going to sound off, because <laughs> Apple doesn't want them. They want them lost, so you'll have to buy another set. This past week, I lost, when we came in from Dallas, I lost my AirPods. And it's just that feeling. And, you know, I, I ask everybody, I'm like, I know I came into the barn with them, and I can't find them. And I, I would go and find my, and it says they're right here in the barn. Candace and I are both down on the floor looking under bed, so everywhere, sounding them off, couldn't find them. And then I came in yesterday, and they're sitting right there by the little desk where I do my devotions. And I said, where'd you find them? She said, in the chair where you do your devotions. <laughs> they were in, in a blanket, just tucked down in there. You ever lost something, and then when you find, and you're like, you're all, you, you are almost ready to stop by the Apple store or go online and order an, a replacement pair. And then you find it. You know that elation is like Christmas just came in February. That happens a lot. That's what had happened to the people of God. They lost something valuable. We talked last week about the story of Josiah, the eight-year-old king that God used in a mighty way. Second Kings says, verse 1, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. In the 18th year of his reign, King Josiah sent the secretary to the temple of the Lord. 
He commissioned the people to repair the temple. And when things are neglected, they fall into disrepair. And he said, it's time to repair the house of God. Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law or the word of God in the temple of the Lord. And then he took it to the king, Josiah, and, and he was now 26 years old. And he read to the king the word. And it so moved him that he began to tear his clothes. And that's a sign of repentance. Last week, I gave you the historic lesson that Josiah, being a great king, he didn't follow good kings. His great-grandfather, Hezekiah, was a good man. His grandfather, Manasseh, was not a good king. Um, he reigned for 55 years, his grandfather did. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He rebuilt the altars to Baal, made his son pass through the fire. His grandfather sacrificed one of his uncles in the fire. It's hard to believe. He did witchcraft, practiced all kinds of evil the king of God's people. And then Josiah's dad, Amon, was 22 years old, and he only reigned two years. And he was taken out by his own people because his leadership must have been just that bad. And he was taken out in his own house. And then they, they preferred the eight-year-old Josiah, as I told you last week, over the 24-year-old Amon. Second Kings chapter 23 says, Never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all, look at this, with all his heart and soul and strength, obeying all the laws of Moses, the word of God. And there has never been a king like him since. That's a big deal with David and all the other kings that never before him nor since him has there been one like him? And he started at eight years old. Come on, somebody. Second Chronicles 34 says, During the eighth year of his reign, underscore this, while he was still young, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor, David. I want you to see, eight years old, God began to work in him as a teenager. And it says, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his ancestor David. I believe in this Amon season of national and international spiritual chaos, God is looking for some young men and young women who even in their young years, I believe that. Because let's look at this. God goes to an eight-year-old. Can you imagine us going to an eight-year-old president? Well, don't think about it too long. It's not a... <laughs> kind of beats the option, the 80-year-old option. We got it. But seriously, a young man inexperienced who honors the word with all of his heart and soul is better than a seasoned leader who walks in pride or thinks they got it all under control. Eight-year-old king. Somebody needs to let that sink in. I know a lot of the young people are in the next service, but not all of them. Now, I want to appeal to you as a dad of seven, grandfather of five, an old youth pastor who was used and started preaching in 10th grade myself. We see God uses young men and women. He used Daniel. He used Samuel as a kid. He used Caleb. Why is this story about Josiah, an eight-year-old king, why is it even in the Bible? It's because God's wanting to let us know something. That you're never too young when you're dedicated, you're never too young to be used in a mighty way. And it's not the only time God would use a young man or woman. He used many of them. Secondly, 
God makes it clear in this story that age doesn't matter to him. It's all about the heart and the word. God used a bunch of old people. How many of you are thankful that, that you still qualify? Who, people who were way past their prime. Who didn't have the capacity to do what God did in them. But they received a word from him about something God wanted to do in them. Abraham and Sarah, Moses, Elizabeth, and others. What God is doing, and I don't have time to go into all the research of what's happening right now in our nation. The churches that are now setting the real kingdom trends have an under 40 years old average in their church. Mercy culture in Dallas, upper room in Dallas, or mercy culture in Fort Worth. Jesus culture in Orlando. God, please hear me, restoration, especially young people. God is doing something special in this Amon vacuum. He's finding some Josiahs. The young men and women in this church. I speak to you, many of you have been raised right. You've been raised in families that, that care about the things of God. Many of you are in private schools. You're, in, you're being homeschooled. You're in hybrid schools. Some of your parents are sacrificing greatly to protect you from the evil indoctrination that's going on in our world. And as a result, you have an excellent spirit. You see, if you graduate from high school today in this country and you are a normal person, you were born a boy and you've always been a boy, you haven't tried to be anything but a, a male. If you were raised, born a girl and you the same, you never got confused about that. If you are a, a high school 18-year-old graduate in this room and you haven't vaped and gotten addicted to the nicotine that's 20%, 20 times more addictive than cigarettes. If you're an 18-year-old and you've stayed free of heroin and fentanyl and you are not addicted to pornography, you are, God's hand has been on your life. And it's probably because a mother and a father somewhere have been committed to raising you right. And I say this because I've observed it. I spoke. I was at the camp last summer. I know what's happening in our children's ministry. And I say this sincerely. There are some young kids in our church who have an excellent spirit. There is supernatural promise on their lives. You are growing up in homes that are different they have a different spirit, an excellent spirit. You're growing up in a church that is different. Come on, somebody. It has that same different spirit. You are in an atmosphere on a regular basis that God is going to reach down in your life and give you an opportunity to have an excellent spirit. There are people, young men and women in this church now, who didn't grow up in homes like that. And somehow, miraculously, somebody from the well spotted you at the gym and they invited you to church and you've been here. I watched one of them on Friday night when Bruce opened up the altars. He was sitting on the second row right over there. And when Bruce opened up the altar, I had not met this kid in his early to mid-20s. He jumped over two rows and was the first person in the altar. And I couldn't wait to talk to him after the deal on Friday night, which was awesome. He told me, Banks just went up and said, and he told me what he said to open the door to witness to him. And the guy just embraced me and wouldn't let me go. As I prayed for him, he shook in the altar. God's doing something special. Some of you have been raised in homes where you've been shaped the right way. And you'll be held responsible for that. Others... God has supernaturally brought you into this spiritual family and God is giving you a different spirit, an excellent spirit. Now, 
Daniel chapter 6, Bruce mentioned this on Friday night. Verse 3, then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. Oh God, help us to understand what you mean when your word says an excellent spirit. Daniel had it. The story of Daniel is remarkable. We see in Daniel 1, how did he get an excellent spirit? It's connected to the word of God. In verse 7 of chapter 1, when he was a young man, when he was a young man, and Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem, and he, they killed all the people except the Tim Tebow's. Verse 3 says that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were handsome, well-built, intelligent, and sensitive. How many of you pray your daughter Mary is one of those guys? Handsome, well-built, intelligent. You realize what a rare combination that is? And sensitive. How many of you go, I'll just take a sensitive one. I don't care what he looks like. I don't care what he's built like. But in all, and they saved the Tebos. And Daniel's one of them. In verse 7 it says, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the king's meat and drink. That's, there's a long story behind it. Somewhere when his mom and daddy were taking him through the book of Leviticus on what they could eat and not eat, what you can put into your body and what you could not put into your body. We need a revelation of that discernment now like never before. I'm going to talk some about that not next week, but the week after, how we take care of this temple. But for Daniel, how did he resolve not to defile him? He knew the word. And it's in knowing the word that you have an excellent spirit. Listen, it's in Daniel chapter 9. Look, now he's not a, a young man, but he's an older man who, as a young man, had an excellent spirit. And he stayed true to the word. And when the law started saying, you can't do this, you can't do that, he said, I've got to do what this says regardless of what the laws say. And then they began to get oppressed, 65, 66, 67 years. Now he's probably 75, 80, 85 years old. And everybody's overwhelmed. Please hear me. And he says, hey guys, it's okay. The prophet Jeremiah said, we're only going to be here 70 years. What is that? That's a man, oh Jesus, help me, who said, I believe what the word says. We've been here a long time. They're not letting up on us. They've thrown us in the fiery furnace. I've slept in the lion's den. But this has a shelf life. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. Daniel was one of those because the Bible tells me so kind of believers. He quotes Jeremiah chapter 29 verses 1 through 11. And you know that passage. Jer Daniel reminds him, we're in here. But God says he has a plan for us and it's not to harm us. It's to give us a future and a hope. We will know peace again in our land. Daniel had an excellent spirit because he knew the word and believed it. Are y'all out there? There's another one. Caleb, it says in Numbers 14, but my servant Caleb has a different attitude, the NLT says. Most translations say a different spirit. And it's the same idea. One trans some translations say he had, listen, another spirit. How many thank you? thankful you got another spirit capital a capital s called the holy spirit y'all acting like a bunch of presbyterians up in here this morning seriously how many of you glad you got somebody else with you the personal god of the holy spirit numbers 14 but my servant caleb has a different attitude or spirit than the others have he has remained loyal to me so i will bring him into the land he explored his descendants look at the promise this is not just about Caleb. Yes. It's about his family. Yes. Hear that, somebody. Yes. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. 
this, the backstory is they're at the edge of the promised land. And they go, all right, how many of y'all want to go in? Oh, how many of you don't want to go in? Oh, let's send every family, all 12 tribes, appoint one person. We'll send them in. They'll explore it and come back. And you know the rest of the story. If you don't, 12 go in, they come back, and they report to the people who've been 40 years in the wilderness. And the 10 of them go, when we went, they were right. The grapes are like softballs. There's fruit everywhere, milk and honey. You've never seen more beautiful scenery. But there are giants in the land. And, and the, Caleb and Joshua heard the, oh, there are, there are giants in the land. There are giants in the land. We're going to have to figure out how to, to live out here in the wilderness. And the Bible teaches that as that fear seized the people of God and they forgot the word of God, Caleb and Joshua stand up and go, time out! The grapes are big, the peaches are big, the oranges are big, the people are big too, and we're not. But God is giving us that land. And everybody listen. That's easy to stand up here and preach and act bombastic. But if you were there, it would have been much like 2024. To stand up in the face of PC, political correctness. And all the fear of going to jail. And what's going to happen. Another shutdown and vaccines. And Dr. Fauci, the demigod. And all this stuff. And this is what's gotten pastors silenced and Eric Metaxas is telling us it's time for the church to stand up it's time for the men and women of God the pastors the leaders the spiritual leaders to preach the word of God because he says in Germany there was a time if the church had stood up it would have made a difference and when the church finally woke up and tried to stand up, it was too late. These things have happened for our examples. You know why Caleb and Joshua? Three million people left Egypt. Only two got to go into the promised land. Sometimes I think that's about the odds. It's a small percentage of people who will hold on to what? The word of God. When it looks impossible. And all God is looking for is someone to stand up and say, We are not grasshoppers. We are the people of the almighty, eternal God. And he has given us this land. Let's go claim it. Now, Daniel's not the only one. Caleb's not the only one. I love, we mentioned this a little bit on Wednesday night. First Samuel. Samuel's another one. Look what it says in verse 1 of chapter 3. Look what it says. Meanwhile, little Samuel. Many translations say the boy Samuel. Little Richard. Meanwhile, little Samuel was helping the Lord. What? The Lord doesn't need help from some little squirt. That's what the Bible says. Little Samuel was helping the Lord by serving or assisting Eli, the priest. And look what the condition was. So this is why God was going and he found another little boy, little young boy. Yes. Messages from the Lord were very rare in those days. Everybody look right here. This is our condition. The Bible says... The word of the Lord was rare, and the people had no vision. And that's what happened. When there's no word being declared, people lose spiritual eyesight. That's what's happening in our world. Are y'all out there? And Proverbs 29, 18 says, not having vision is dangerous. It says, with, with no vision, the people perish. One translation says, when there's no vision, no, 
word-directed, spirit-inspired, spiritual vision, the people cast off restraint. And they do what they did with Manasseh and Ammon. They start sacrificing their children. They start having abortions on demand and don't feel any correction about it because nobody's standing up and saying what Psalm 139 says. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. And I'm on thin ice right now, and I know if the wrong people get this on Facebook or YouTube, I know what could happen. But what do we do? We stand up and we declare the word of the Lord. Why? Because it's the word of the Lord. And if we don't do it, there won't be any vision. And the people of God will perish. And that's why we've closed almost 135,000 churches, evangelical churches in America in the last four years. It's time for somebody to stand up and say, Thus saith the Lord, thus saith the word of God, so that the people of God can have spiritual vision. Come on, somebody. It goes on, and you know the story. Messages from the Lord were very rare in those days, but one night after Eli had gone to bed, he was almost blind with age by now, and Samuel was sleeping in the temple near the ark, the presence of God, and the Lord called out, Samuel, Samuel. What we see here is, everybody look here, an old corrupt man whose sons, who were the next priests, were sleeping with women in the house of God. And God couldn't speak to him anymore. So what did he do? He spoke to little Samuel. Could we just prophetically just agree, okay, God, we're not going to be like Eli. We're going to keep our ears open. But we pray in this culture, call up a million Josiahs right now. Give us a million Samuels. In the name of, and may they happen right here at Restoration Church. Are y'all out there? How many of you believe God is able? How many of you are open to it if, if, if one of the children in your house turns into a Josiah, a Deborah, an Esther, a Samuel, a Daniel? Come on, so everybody wants a Tebow, but they don't want a Daniel. No, we want some Tebow Daniels to raise. God is, catch us a vision, oh God. Help us to see. With one person, an army of 12-year-olds, you could use them. Praise your name, Jesus. All right, point number two. I want to just talk about how, how do you lose the word of God in the house of God? Through apathy and neglect. Our biggest threat is not persecution or terrorism. It is apathy and neglect. Apathy means to have a lack of interest, enthusiasm. Everybody say that word, enthusiasm. Say it, enthusiasm or concern. It's a lack of feeling or emotion. Tom Nichols in his book, Our Own Worst Enemy, an instructor at Harvard and the U.S. Naval War College, he says the greatest threat to democracy isn't terrorism. But we all know this from government in 12th grade. It's apathy. And that's where we are now. And you mix apathy and neglect. Neglect is fail to care for properly. To give little attention or respect to. Disregard. To leave undone or unattended to, especially through carelessness. Apathy and neglect in the house of God for the word of God is our biggest obstacle. The antonym, what's the opposite for apathetic? Enthusiastic. Say that again, enthusiastic. The antonym for neglect is to cherish. Or I, will hide, I will treasure your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Do you know Jack Hafer did a sermon years ago that I heard in our mentoring class, the word enthused. The word enthused is Latin. It's a word that means divine inspiration. To be enthusiastic isn't just to be colorful or comfortable being loud. It's to be inspired. 
or possessed by God. And it comes from entheos. In meaning in. Theos meaning God. And there's nothing I hate more in church than passive, disinterested people. Um, I was down at the Capitol and I was asked to be a part of the March for Life program and to speak. And God bless their hearts. The first 45 minutes of that program, you could just look over the audience and like, we're all here. We got our placards. People talking during the speakers and I'm like, what is up? You know what's up. There's no enthuse. And thank God for sweet Alveda King, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s niece, who spoke right before me. And she, she brought some life. And then when I got up, I just had to explain to him, I'm used to a church that shows a little passion, so forgive me if I get excited. But I believe we're getting ready to pray. And I was telling him this. I'm, we're getting ready to pray to a God who hears and answers prayer, who's still sovereign and in charge. And there were people that stopped talking and started turning around. As I finished, I got a text on my way home from one of our precious brothers who was in the crowd. And he said, I just texted my wife. This scene needs a little Holy Spirit. And then you step up, Pastor Chuck. And... You know, brothers and sisters, you're either enthused or you're not. Either God's on the inside of you or he is not. If he is, you can't mail it in. You can't go through the motions. You can't be ambivalent. You can't be lukewarm. Are you out there? If God is on the inside, you are inspired, possessed by God. You love his word. You want to be obedient to his word. So God, in this hour, give us some people who are not apathetic. They're enthusiastic. They're not neglectful. They are careful to treasure your word. What happens when the spiritual leaders are apathetic or intimidated, politically correct? What happens when the spiritual leaders are neglectful with the word? I'll tell you what happens. What we're seeing now, darkness ensues, chaos comes, immorality and evil and corruption and violence is widespread. The Bible says six times in the book of Judges, in those days, there was no king, no spiritual leader. And every man did what was right in his own eyes. You see what we don't want is what Jeremiah described. Jeremiah chapter 5 says about the spiritual leaders. They have lied about the Lord and said, He won't bother us. Those disasters will come upon us. We're the blessed of the Lord, highly favored. There will be no war or famine. It says God's prophets are all windbags who don't really speak for Him. How many of you praise God? You don't have a windbag. You might have a dirt bag up here, but not a windbag. <laughs> chapter 10, verse 21. See this picture. For the shepherds have become dull-hearted and have not sought the Lord. Therefore, they shall not prosper, and all their flocks shall be scattered. And that's what happens when the shepherds' heart isn't enthused. It's dull. They don't have the word of the Lord. And then the sheep are scattered. You see, we live in a world, brothers and sisters, that's off the rail. And we don't need pastors, shepherds with dull hearts. Men are in girls' restrooms. Sesame Street has introduced transsexual characters. Sesame Street. Doctors and scientists are espousing foolishness. We're being told men can get pregnant. And other crazy things by smart people. I'm here to tell you the truth, and I'm calling you to be people of the word. Reminded of that commercial. People go, Pastor Chuck, quit getting political on Sunday morning. Preach the word. Yes. I'm reminded of that commercial. Remember when we were growing up, that Reese's peanut butter com commercial. You've got your peanut butter in my chocolate. No, I don't. You've got your chocolate in my peanut butter. Remember that? 
And they're like, oh, delicious. It's not delicious. Anybody remember? Christianity and politics. Y'all got your politics in my Christianity. Y'all got your evil doctrine indoctrination in, in the where my family, where our church is trying to raise children in Colorado recently. Just this week, one political party tried to introduce legislation for pedophiles to be sentenced to jail time at least four years. And another political party voted unanimously against it and would only support probation for pedophiles. The standard last week says transgender women's milk just as good for babies, the NHS Trust says. This is foolishness. A leaked letter from a university hospital, NHS Foundation Trust Medical Director, says milk produced by trans men with the help of drugs is comparable to that produced following the birth of a baby. Can somebody just say insanity? Men in women's bathroom. Men can't get pregnant. Men now can compete against our girls. I'm going to stand and say it's wrong. I can't raise my son as a young man. The government knows better on how I should parent my children. I can't raise my daughter as a daughter if she comes home from school and she says she wants to be referred to as he, him, his. Because some insane teacher who was supposed to be teaching, reading, writing, and arithmetic put some demonically inspired idea that has confused my child's sexuality. Our tax dollars being used for child mutilation, gender reassignment surgery without my permission, abortion on demand. It's never been more important for spiritual leaders to preach the word. Let me hear me, listen. Clarity, clarity is kindness. To be loving is to be truthful. For the nation to be in order, the church has to be in order. If the church is out of order, the nation will be in chaos where every man does what is right in his own eyes. And where the Lord, where the Lord is rare, rare, there will not be order. There will be no vision. People will be running around, the blind leading the blind. The church has to be in order. And for the church to be in order, you literally have one job. The word has to be central. When you find the word, you find Jesus. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And I don't have time to get into all of that. Jesus, his whole life, said everything God wanted to say. From Genesis to Revelation, who's the word about? Jesus. What is Christianity without the word? What is Christianity without Jesus? It's what we have now. It's right. It's religion. Luke 24, 44. John 5, 39. Jesus said, the scriptures speak to me. You know the scriptures and you don't recognize who I am. When you find the word, you find it all. When you find the word, you find faith. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. How do you get faith? Through hearing the word. You see, when the word of the Lord is rare, there's no faith and there's no vision. But no matter how crazy and chaotic the world is, like it is now, when we have the word, we have courage, we have conviction, we have faith. We get to get in here on Sunday mornings and worship the omnipotent God who knows everything that's going to happen. In fact, he told us his eyes are searching the whole earth trying to find people whose hearts are steadfast on him that he might show himself strong on their behalf. Now, 
Pastor Chuck, when you find the word, you get faith. When you get faith, you have conviction and courage. You see, brothers and sisters, you're hearing a pastor preach this morning that believes Noah built the ark. That's not a metaphor. It's not an analogy. Your pastor believes an old man built a big ark. Your pastor believes Moses, another old man, who wasn't a good communicator. God did so many miracles through him. It seems like the whole Bible is about Moses and Jesus. You're talking to a pastor who believes God parted the Red Sea. Water came from a rock, a pillar of cloud in the day and fire in the night. How do you know, Pastor Chuck? Because the Bible tells me so. That's how I know. I believe David took a slingshot and killed a giant. I believe a fish swallowed a, a rebellious prophet. And God miraculously delivered him. And then he preached and thousands got saved. I believe a virgin conceived the Son of God. I believe the Son of God was born of a virgin. Died on a cross between two thieves. Was laid in a tomb. And he was resurrected. I believe that the same spirit that raised him from the dead is alive in this room. Why do you believe that, Pastor Jeff? Because the Bible tells me so. That's why I believe it. I feel like I'm in a room full of people that believe it too. Come on, praise the living God. Come on, that's our King. That's our God. Somebody praise Him. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. I got seven minutes. Sit down. I'm not going to finish this sermon. Y'all thought you could trick me by giving me attaboys. But I got to tell you, I know that when we gather in this room, there's a lot of things we do on staff. We plan worship. We run programs. There's laws. There's building codes. There's staffing. There's budgets. But as the sermon goes, so goes the church. Not just what we say we believe, but what we declare and believe. And I know that's a heavy weight. But as it is a heavy weight for me, as the anointing for the teaching, the declaration of the truth, Paul said to Timothy, I urge you. Preach the word. Be ready even in unfavorable times to preach the word. They'll, he said there's a time coming. People aren't going to hear sound doctrine. He said preach the word. That, so as the sermon goes, so goes the church. Let me tell you something. 1 Peter chapter 2 said we're a holy nation. We're the people belonging. Chosen generation. Royal priests. And as Pastor Chuck faithful to the word so goes the church dad you can't be apathetic to the the word you can't be careless or neglectful you can't think well pastor cindy's doing a great job discipling my eight-year-old she is but that's not going to be enough she gets them at the most three hours a week and I, I urge you men, people say, how did you and Candace raise good kids? We haven't been perfect. And this word, we can even talk to them about how do we process your mommy and daddy's imperfections. My sweet mother. In the last years of her life, she used to sit right there. 
of my dad. And I preached one time about my love for the word. And I made it, I, I referred to a story that happened when I was early elementary. My mother was, she, my dad was a great pastor and preacher, but my mother was a word. She lived on the word of God. Psalm 1, she quoted it all the time. And one time when I was a kid, I don't even know how this happened, but something got sat on a Bible. And my mother said, oh, Chuck, don't, it's a sin to sit anything on the Bible. And I was like, really? And I, so for 50 years now, I, I won't, and I was telling that story. And after the service, my mother caught me. She said, Chuck, I don't remember ever saying that. <laughs> Just like that. She said, I don't believe it's a sin to sit anything on the Bible. I said, well, you said it. <laughs> and she goes, I don't remember it. And it was probably, maybe I'd gotten careless or put a drink or, and when she, that lodged, and I've told, if on the way to church this morning, no matter what I have on the things I got to bring in here, nothing goes on top of that. And I'm not even, I got, I got messed up as a child. You know, my mom, she, I don't, I remember her saying it, but she denied it. <laughs> and um, we were, I told this story a couple years ago at the Women's Flourish Conference. My dad, we always pastored small churches, and, um, but my dad took pride in the physical campus. And it was like, paint that is peeling, uh-uh, we're going to get a scraper, we got to paint it. Weeds, grass, we got to paint it. And so our church parsonage, which is the house the church owns, the pastor lives in, and trust me, the church owns it. And it's on the same campus with the building. Between our parsonage and the church was an old barn. I'm talking about old. Falling apart, neglected. And it was one of those barns that everybody would want the wood now. And my dad was like, it just, it looks dilapidated. So one of the first things we did when we moved to that church was one Saturday, he got me and my little brother and we tore down that barn. And at the floor, though, was an old, and it wasn't a big barn. It's more like a shed. It was concrete. You know how old concrete, once it's settled, it can get cracks. And then, like, it can, there can, and there was a big crack. And so we burn all that wood. And days, a couple weeks after that, my mother notices in the crack of that concrete, there's a tomato plant growing up my mother had a green thumb Candace says she gave it to me and we went out there you ever tried to stake a tomato plant that's on concrete you can't put them down so you just you have to go out and keep adjusting them God's honest truth there was a tomato so big on that plant my mother wouldn't let us eat it we were going to Fort Lauderdale from Salem, Virginia for vacation to see her older sister. And we took that tomato plant like it was frankincense, myrrh, gold. And I have thought about that. Who knows how many years ago that seed just dropped and somehow when everything else got swept up or blown away, between a cracking concrete, all it needed was a little sunlight and a little rain. And even in the midst of a hard situation, the biggest, to, our family still talks about it. If we had had Facebook back then, that thing would have gone viral. It was bigger than my head, that tomato plant. I wonder, what neglectful thing do you need to tear away that the seed that gets planted can get a little sunlight, a little rain? David said, I have hid your word in my heart that I might not sin. You have one job, treasure the word and watch God 
keep you from sin. Stand to your feet, everybody. I want to ask you, if you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Chuck, I have, I've been apathetic. I haven't. I've been neglectful, a little careless about the word. And I want you, I repent of that. You have one job. If you're here today and you're saying, I hear the Holy Spirit, and I, I'm going to change the way I view the word, raise your hand all over the room. Come on, raise them up. We have one job. To be the people of God, we have to be the people who love the Word of God. And so, Father, in this room right now, I just thank you that your Word has gone forth with authority, with conviction, with passion, with courage. Your Word is truth. Kindness is clarity. Clarity is kindness. Truth is loving. Love is truthful. Thank you for this atmosphere where people love your word. We believe the miracles of the Old Testament and the New Testament. We also believe your word is signs and wonders will follow them that believe. There's some Daniels, some Joshuas, some Josiahs, some Caleb's, some Esther's and Ruth's growing up in this house. And we call them forth in the name of Jesus in this hour. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Father, we commit to being people of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I hope you're thankful for the word this morning. May, as you leave today, may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you. May he lift his countenance upon you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Come on, just say it. I receive it in Jesus' name. God bless you all. The mixer tonight at 6. But more importantly, everybody that leaves, you're a priest. Let's go change the world for his glory in Jesus' name. Amen.